Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torby. And I'm Katie Zakreski. Together, we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's a party. So grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. Guys, let me uh, shut my door because my stupid cat is screaming again. Give me just a second. No worries. We're familiar with cats on this show. Sorry, gang. Toby is what we refer to as a full-time bastard. So apologies, <laughs> everyone. Today, we're in for a treat. We have Michael Jeffries from CCL here for an interview. He is a regional coordinator for CCL. He's from Indiana, has worked on political consulting firms, political campaigns, and coordinated le- legislative affairs. And he's managed nonprofit association. I think we have a lot we can learn from him and uh, a lot he can tell us about reaching out to conservatives and getting policies passed. Welcome, welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Fabulous. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, you know, I come from Brownsburg, Indiana, and now I've moved about 15 minutes away where I live on the west side of Indianapolis. Lived here my whole life. I did college here. I'm married. My wife, we were high school sweethearts. We met at freshman year of high school. Aw. That's actually um, so sweet. Yeah, we started dating our sophomore year. You have two kids. A third on the way. Um, I'm a a hometown boy. I love that so much. What are are the ages of your kids, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so my oldest daughter is three and a half now. And my youngest is almost one. She's going to be one here in the middle of January. Oh, those are fun ages. I, I bet, especially around the holidays right now, you're pretty tired, but you're having a lot of fun, I can imagine. Oh my gosh, yeah. My aunt, my aunt <laughs> she's, uh, she's just so excited. I mean, she talks about Christmas every day and how Christmas is actually today and we need to open up presents now. That is so funny. Yeah, all my cousins and I are like in agreement that this is one of the last few years before anybody gets married and has kids. So let's just enjoy being able to like hand each other a gift card before you got to like pull out all the stops for small children. (laughs) So thank you for letting me look inside the crystal ball there, Michael. Absolutely. Michael, as a conservative environmentalist, do you ever feel like you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place, like between the environmentalist side and uh, conservatives who just people don't accept you on both sides. They don't trust that you're in the middle. I wouldn't say that I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place, but I do feel like I'm in sort of a uncomfortable place. Like a lot of people aren't really quite sure what to do with me. I've really never had to compromise my principles in order to advocate for protecting the environment. So like me personally, I'm very comfortable with the space I'm in. And since I have kind of a campaign background, a lot of, you know, the kind of politicos in, in town, when I go and talk to them, like they're like, oh yeah, Michael's a conservative, like he was on campaigns doing this stuff for a while. But then I'll start talking to them about clean energy and they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I I do a lot of partnering and will work a lot with some of the more left-leaning environmentalist groups. And they're always just like a little bit weary of like, can we really trust this guy? But yeah, I've really enjoyed being in this space. You know, I, like I said, I never had to compromise my principles to advocate for protecting the environment so you know kind of there'll be mainstream calls protect the environment they'll be joined by appeals for massive government regulation of the energy sector 
people's daily choices. But, you know, I don't think that's necessary and I don't advocate for those kinds of client solutions. So, you know, I'm just able to go and advocate for key smart policies that will lead to massive reductions in emissions, both at home and around the world. That'll be good for our economy and families and households. Michael, you've started to tell us a little bit about some of the work that you do. Could you tell us more about your work as original coordinator for CCL? Yeah, so what I do is I really just engage in outreach to conservatives. I go and speak to different groups of people who have kind of right-leaning audiences. I've spoken to a lot of college Republican, young Republican groups. The kind of message that I try to get out to people is I want to let them know that conservatives have a place in the climate movement, that there are strong, practical, effective solutions to climate change that are in line with their principles, and the CCL is a great place to get involved to help get those solutions implemented. I also kind of work on plugging in conservatives into the organization, get them involved performing actions that they're interested in, like participating in lobby meetings, doing service projects, writing letters to the editor, you know, all the other great things that Citizens Climate Lobby does. One of the best things that I really am really trying to aim for is, and one of my goals is, you know, in every lobby meeting the Citizens Climate Lobby organizes, like I want to have the least one conservative in that meeting, especially when there's a Republican legislator that we're meeting. And so that way they can be a face that is able to speak the language of the Republican legislator, let them know that, you know, this isn't just like a bunch of liberal ideas, that this is something that has broad appeal and that conservatives want to see done too. So have you found anything that you find more effective in reaching out to conservatives versus more left-leaning people that you deal with? Yeah, I mean, I definitely always try to start with really kind of affirming some of the concerns and hesitations that people have kind of right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Most conservatives would say that they're concerned about, you know, that we're moving too fast, that, you know, they're trying to force technologies onto us before we're ready and they're going to, like, we might have blackouts and we might have all kinds of problems or that, you know, it's going to make our energy way too expensive and we won't be able to afford it. Whenever I start talking about these problems and I start talking about climate solutions, I always start by kind of acknowledging that those are those are fair and legitimate concerns and that the kinds of solutions that I advocate for are not solutions that are going to like fall into that trap. I find that that creates a really good receptive audience. I also have found that, you know, making a very pragmatic argument, this is one of those issues that a lot of Americans care very deeply about. And there's really no ideological reason to be opposed to embracing climate solutions. So it really will help us to get broader appeal, which is really important for Republicans who care about winning elections. Republicans have really lost a lot of key elections the last several years and swing districts and all these places. So by adopting a stance or a set of stances on climate change and adopting, you know, climate solutions and having an agenda to address it, we can really get in there and make a difference in those swing states, you know? Yeah. It seems like uh, Republicans have become vulnerable on this uh, topic and haven't really gained any ground. Do you think it's uh, hurting them and bringing in the new younger constituency, not having any set environmental policies and a lot of them being denying climate change? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I hear that all the time. 
One of the things that I also do is I'm vice chair of the Indiana Federation of Young Republicans. And, you know, when I'm going, I talk to friends or I talk to especially college Republicans. I hear a lot that, you know, they'll have friends who are sympathetic with some things the Republicans stand for. Mm -hmm. But because they are, they don't think the Republicans care about the issue of climate change. So if they don't want to do anything to help the environment, then they were like, well, this is one of the most important issues, like, that's around. So, like, I really can't support Republicans unless they have their stance on them. We definitely need to be doing this to help bring in younger conservatives. There's actually some pretty good data about it, too. Almost 71% of reliable Republican voters under 35 and a poll from last year said that they want their member of Congress to be working to address climate change. And that same number, 71% of Republican voters under 30, but they don't think the Republican Party is doing enough to address climate change. We have good data that's kind of consistent across the board that younger conservatives and people who lean right really want to see the Republican Party kind of taking a stance on these issues, but they just want And also, you know, that same poll that I had just cited about the people under 30, people said in that poll that they would be more likely, 55% of people, young voters, Republican, center left say they would be more likely to vote for a Republican who recognizes that climate change is real and who would address doing simple steps like embracing like natural climate solutions to address it. So there's really a major opportunity for Republicans uh, with younger voters if they could just carve out some stances around this issue and just recognize that it's a real problem. As we're talking about this, it's making me think a lot about how a lot of people who are younger are slowly becoming single issue voters, if that makes sense. Mm. A lot of times they're either single issue voter when it comes to things like abortion or gender issues, I guess. But one thing I know is a lot of people are single issue voters around climate change. A lot of young Republican people like myself are having a hard time because we're like, well, I really care about pro-life issues, but I also really care about climate change. I feel like a lot of Republicans who are running are missing the opportunity to win a lot of those single issue voters when they're not talking about climate. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there's this party out there. It's called the American Solidarity Party. Mm -hmm. And it's just this tiny, tiny little thing. Although I actually spoke to a campus group of theirs a few months ago. Um, in Indianapolis, that's kind of what they try to do is they try to take the the teachings from Catholic social teaching and basically turn the Catholic social teaching into like a political party platform. And like, they're like, yeah, we need to take care of the environment. And we also need to be sympathetic to immigrants. And also they have like conservative stances on a lot of social issues. So yeah, there's probably a lot of people out there who would resonate more with that message. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we have a two-part system. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, the duopoly really makes it difficult to parse these issues in a more uh, productive manner. It's either you're for or you're against, and there seems to be no middle ground. And I feel like it's come to that in, uh, the, with issues with the environment, whereas on the left, you have everyone going full bore for everything in the environment. And on the right, you have a large or or a good portion of the party still denying climate change. And slowly, people are coming along, but there's still a wide swath of territory that I feel like more independent-minded voters lay in that Republicans could come out and state policies in that would drive a lot more turnout for them in their in their districts. Yeah. I also have another question. So with where you're at in the United States, where I'm at in Utah, 
there's like a huge outdoorsy culture. Mm. It's a very conservative state. But a lot of people are very environmentally oriented just because we have five national parks. You know, everyone's a skier or hiker here. We always are watching to see how big the next snowpack's going to be. But where you're at, is it similar? Like, how does conservative messaging towards environmentally minded conservative change in, based on where they're regionally located? Yeah. Well, in Indiana, it is it is a little hard. We are so flat. It is crazy how flat we are. I, I, I was talking with someone from Virginia who was like, yeah, I rented a car in Indiana and I felt like like it went up like the only hill in the town and just like gave out going up the hill and just didn't know what to do. We don't have that much, like we don't have that same kind of, the same level of natural beauty, I would say, sadly, where people are really passionate about conservation a lot of the time. So that does make it a little bit harder to draw out that appeal. What we have is, you know, we have agriculture is really big. A lot of people work in manufacturing. We're actually one of the largest manufacturing states in the country. I talk a lot about CBAMs, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, and point out the kind of benefits that that would bring for American farmers, but also American manufacturing, because that's really where so many people are going to to work and the kind of people whose jobs feel like they would be threatened by stringent environmental regulations. But through a carbon border adjustment mechanism, because we make things so much cleaner than we do compared to places like China and India, it's estimated that U.S. steel would become like 47% more profitable in like just a couple of years with a carbon border adjustment mechanism put in place. So that would really benefit families here in Indiana um, really significantly. And I think that there's been a lot of interest in that. In Utah, we're having problems with our agriculture and climate change already. And so I feel like that kind of messaging is just barely starting to come along. But I'm sure that's something that you've been talking about for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. We we talk about it when it comes to, you know, fortunately, we haven't had that many droughts yet. We had a drought a few, like 2014, but I think that was like before people were really drawing major connections between climate change and and like the droughts that we're currently experiencing. There's been a major report put out by Purdue University, which is a major university here, not just in basketball, but also in agriculture. They're a major agricultural university. Mm-hmm. So they put out a major report showing the and detailing the effects to Indiana agriculture, showing that, you know, our growing seasons are going to become shorter we're going to have less working days to actually get out in the fields because of increased heat also talking about you know some of the things that might change like the different types of crops that might be able to be grown and stuff like that but yeah there's been a lot of research on it um but i don't think we found the kind of thing that like really hit home with the farmers yet one thing that i learned in one of my environmental studies classes is that you know we can convince people for you can talk to them and like we can listen to each other and stuff like that. But the people who are really, you know, have their kind of feet in the ground on where they're standing on climate, I feel like the climate as it slowly starts to change more and more will be the really big convincing factor, right? So sometimes I'm like, well, if I can't convince that person, the climate will eventually, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, my wife's grandparents, they owned a place down in Florida, down in Braden. It's in the Bradenton, Sarasota area. And they live by water and they got an extra, they'll have to pay an extra like one to $2,000 a year 
to the kind of like their HOA that they have for the retirement community down there in order to build up a higher storm wall because of the increased flooding that they're getting in these areas. So, I mean, for them, it's like severe, it's, you know, really starting to kind of hit home where they are. And yeah, I mean, it'll come to us sooner or later here in Indiana. I know that, you know, we're going to have a 50 degree Christmas, so that's... 50 degrees? Yeah. No, it's it's sad. When I was a kid, that's one of the things that really sat on me. When I was a kid, you know, I have a winter birthday. I always had snow on my birthday. And, like, we would have snow through, like, most of January because it just wouldn't get cold, like, warm enough for it really to all melt away. Now we, we get, like, one to two significant snowfalls a year, and it's usually melted away within a day or two. Yeah, no, when I was a kid, I remember we used to be able to, like, there was, like, feet of snow where I'm at in Salt Lake City like it was maybe like three or four feet of snow that would just stick on the ground all winter and we'd build forts out of it we'd you know just be sledding every weekend but yeah I mean it's 50 degrees in Salt Lake City and it's actually the worst day of air quality in Utah's history today oh my god yeah you go outside and you smell it and it smells so bad and so with Utah's air quality and with climate in Utah like I mean, 10, 20 years ago, when I was a kid, I remember like no one believed in climate change in Utah. It was like not even a thing. But just as the inversion and as the snowpack has gotten smaller, people are starting to really care because it's starting to really affect people here in Utah. Uh, yeah. I did actually have another thought on agricultural oh, yeah, thing. I will say, actually, that while farmers haven't been like, oh, hey, like you're not going to be like you're crop yields are going to decrease like that hasn't been like a huge a huge winner yet but one thing that's been really helpful is bringing farmers in as a climate solution so really viewing them as like being part of the solution rather than part of the problem i think that's also part of the the fear is that a lot of the discussion around the cap and trade back in 2008 9 10 would have had like really strict rules and regulations around like how to measure your emissions from your like farm equipment and stuff like that so like a lot of farmers are just like don't come at me with any climate policies but senator mike braun who's my senator has really been one of my senators has been a leader in leaning the way on helping farmers get money for carbon credits or doing regenerative ag and stuff like that through things like growing climate solutions act and that's made a lot of people view it as kind of like oh, this is becoming a serious business opportunity to be doing the kinds of things that will help us to reduce our carbon. So really, it's really been more about always just trying to focus on economic benefits rather than focusing on climate impact seems to be one of the more effective things that works here. Ah, so I see talking to people about the carrots rather than the sticks seems exactly. a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, climate climate stuff is so doom and gloom. Like, who really does want to be like listening and talking to people about how their crop yields are going to be terrible in the future. Like, that's not something most people want to talk about. Right. Well, that Purdue study was like, oh, hey, like your crop yields are going to decrease by like 14% and stuff like that. And it's like, that's bad. But it wasn't bad enough to get people like really like losing their mind. For me, it was like 8%. I don't know. It was a number that like hasn't like garnered enough alarm yet, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. I wonder if has agrivoltaics drawn any interest in um, Indiana in your area from farmers? Yeah, there's a lot of farmers who are interested in them, but there's a huge 
movement. I mean, this is one of the things we're fighting, and I've, I've actually been devoting time to trying to get conservatives talking at some of these local meetings because there's big pushes to ban the production of an installation of wind and solar in Indiana. And basically, most places that wind would be good for have now banned wind, except for one or two counties who like really embraced it. And now there's a huge movement to try to ban solar in basically every every county that would be good to build solar. solar. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's solar wonderful. is evil, you know, because it's going to put all kinds of chemicals into the ground and it's going to poison your drinking water. And <laughs> Man, this is... That's, that's actually insane to me because I feel like if people are worried about chemicals and things getting into their atmosphere and in their water, I would be very concerned about coal and fossil fuels first. Let's say then they'll go frack and like put God knows <laughs> what in their water and it's been proven that that does all sorts of stuff to your water and your infrastructure. So the same people who were saying, you solar panel icky, like stick their faces in diesel exhaust for eight hours and... I don't, oh, yeah. This is the so, first time I'm hearing this. This is that is wild to me. Oh, I mean, no, I mean, if there's there are county commissioners, basically, if they approve solar siting standards, then they will get they will be campaigned against very hard. They'll often lose, and then the anti-solar people will come in, and then we'll ban it. Wow, that's too bad. That's like taking away people's options, right? And that's been one of the things that you know has been really sad to me is. That I've been passionate about is hey, like farmers should have the say in what's done with the land that they own, right? Like they want to sell a portion of their land to a solar developer or, or lease a portion of their land to a solar developer and make tons of money off solar. Like they should be able to do that. Really, the big issue is like they just don't want to see a lot of solar panels out. And they are big projects. I mean, like they are. Some of these big utility-scale solar projects do take up like a thousand acres or more, or often more. But at the same time, they'll often build like vegetative screening, so it's not like you're able to really see the solar panels because they'll put like they'll plant like shrubs and stuff, kind of like they do along the interstate a lot of the time. So that way, like homeowners don't have to see the interstate and cars going by. It provokes a lot of fear and frustration that farming communities and farming land is going to be used for solar panels and. So they try to stop them from getting built. Wow, that's tough. I get. I guess I feel in my mind the conservative libertarian movement's all about freedom of choice, freedom to do what you want, and local government telling me what I can't, what I can and can't do with my land is sort of the inverse of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, our state legislature, which is Republican supermajority, tried to pass standards that would override all of these bans, essentially, or would stop counting. I don't think it overrode the existing bans. Because they're like, you know, there's billions upon billions of dollars of investments that come to our state, but like these people are blocking us from getting it. <laughs> it has been such a huge fight. I remember there was a legislator, he was like fighting so hard to get this bill passed, and he went and it went through all these different hoops to jump through. He still finally, he didn't have the votes to call it up. So on the very last day of our legislative session, because we have a part-time legislature, he, he walks up at like, eight o'clock at night he calls up the bill for a vote and we didn't think they were going to call it up for a vote because he didn't have the votes and he walks out and he was like it's like negotiating on this bill has been like negotiating with a hostage a negotiator 
but at the end you give the you give the the person who had a hostage like every single thing that they want and then at the end of the day they still kill the hostage and then he like says i withdraw this bill from the floor and then he just sat down that was it was hilarious <laughs> no, it, was, it was intense but seems a bit dramatic <laughs> right uh, i think we gotta start wrapping this episode up but thank you so much michael for coming yeah, been a very interesting and educational episode thank you so much yeah absolutely you can add your linkedin to our show notes so that our listeners can come and find you they want to talk to you or have questions for you if that's all right i think some quick action steps would be join ccl start advocating for policies you like and um advocating your local representatives just like michael maybe you'll get to meet him and learn from him reach out to a member of congress and support these bills that you enjoy Michael, would you like to plug uh, the book, one of your books, or the, a book you would suggest? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the book that I would like to advocate for here is a book called That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. And it's the third book in a trilogy that C.S. Lewis wrote in the 30s or something. I, I really like this book because it lays out kind of this vision of a very conservative kind of environmentalism that's really focused on kind of a love for the home. And that really being your motivating factor for wanting to take care of it and being very opposed to the kinds of forces that will kind of want to come in and, and kind of just has this very, I want to consume everything up and, and use it all up for economic benefit. And that's been a major, a major piece in kind of like my motivation and thinking and wanting to get involved in protecting the environment. All right. And we'll go to our closing. Okay, so for you, our listener, please email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com. Thank you for listening to Green Tea Party Radio, and a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We absolutely could not do this without you. If you're interested in getting early access to episodes, as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever you it's whatever you social media with. Whatever your social media is, precisely. Whatever social media tickles your fancy, follow us on that one. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsor. And we're building a movement because we want the world to know that conservatives have very important things to say about climate change. So be sure to hit on that Patreon or support the show however you can. And if you want to hear our show on your college radio station, email us at info@greenteapartyradio.com. Give us details about your campus and your radio station. The email again is info at greenteapartyradio.com. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Hi. Hi, I'm Drew Irely. I am the conservative outreach director for Citizens Climate Lobby. My path to being a conservative, uh, concerned about climate action, was definitely a long one. Growing up, it was a very rural area. You had to be into the outdoors or you were gonna be bored out of your mind. So I grew up doing a lot of hunting, fishing. I was the only the, the second person on my mom's side to graduate high school. I graduated June 6th, 05, at like 7.30 at night. And by eight o'clock the next morning, I was on my way to basic training on my 17th birthday. <laughs> had deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, rotations through Cuba. It was during this time that I really became concerned with energy infrastructure, but I wasn't ready to take action yet. It took the birth of a 10-pound baby girl with cheeks so big she couldn't open her eyes to really get me to open mine. My life just went from the next 50 years to the next 75. 
what if she's the veteran that follows in my footsteps and she's in the VA suffering from exposure? You know, what if she's on a fossil fuel route and you know, subject to an IED? How will I be able to look at her in the eye and say, I knew that this could be an issue that you would have to face and I chose to do nothing about it. It's why we fight wars. You know, we fight them now so our kids don't have to. I am fighting climate change now so my daughters don't have to. A lot of people, you know, they say conservatives don't care about climate change, and you know, it's not true at all. We just want sensible policies that don't destroy the economy in trying to find a solution. We have that here at Citizens Climate Lobby. There are a lot of leadership opportunities for conservatives, especially in red states and districts with Republican congressional offices. Conservatives can also join CCL's Conservative Caucus. It's a national group of Republicans and other right-of-center individuals where conservatives can get together and regularly meet online and have strictly conservative-based conversations. Sharing our personal story is how we make a difference. Conservative and concerned about climate change? You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's Eco Right Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an Eco Right leader bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe, and join us each week on the Eco Right Speaks. Hi, I'm Chelsea Henderson, host of the Eco Right Speaks podcast. In a world where conservative voices rarely meet environmental discussions, Green Tea Party Radio is a breath of fresh air. With your hosts, Hannah, Zach, and Katie, get ready for insightful dialogues that break the mold. As conservatives, we're passionate about the environment, the free market, and our faith. But finding our place in this conversation isn't always easy, and that's why we're here. Join us every week as we explore how conservative values intersect with tackling climate change, promoting energy independence, and creating new clean energy sector jobs. Green Tea Party Radio is more than a show. It's a movement that connects young American conservatives aged 16 to 25. We're not just discussing problems, we're providing solutions. So if you're tired of the same old narratives, it's time to embrace something different. Pour the tea, ignite the conversation, and join us on a journey of discovery and action. Don't miss Green Tea Party Radio, coming soon to a college radio station near you. Or subscribe to the Green Tea Party Radio podcast. Check out the Green Tea Party Radio Patreon group for early access, special content, merch, and more. Visit greenteapartyradio.com. Together, let's reshape the future. Woohoo!